Words, they get golly hard when they jumble Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle Merkin fool, like Squirtle and Kate Gould Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. And this week, I've been thinking about films and their ability to entertain, educate, amaze, and inspire. My guest today is Jenny Phillips. She is a cultural anthropologist, filmmaker, and writer. She has a psychotherapy practice specializing in crisis intervention, family and marriage therapy, behavioral medicine, and mindfulness training. And she's a filmmaker. And today, we'll be talking about her film, Beyond the Wall. So welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here with you. So what role did you play in the production of the film? I'm the producer and director, and there's a co-producer, co-director. We're we're producer-directors together. His name is Bester Cram, and he is the founder and director of Northern Light Productions. And I had made an earlier film uh, at Northern Light Productions called The Dama Brothers, which is, I I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's the story of a group of prisoners in a maximum security prison in Alabama, and they take a deep journey inside themselves to try to find the way to wisdom and happiness uh, right where they are in their lives uh, in in the facility. Um, it's a very spiritual and powerful film. And um, I and actually, I, I wanted to say, as, as a filmmaker, which I'm only just now beginning to refer to myself as a filmmaker, because I really feel as if I've done many other things in my life, and I turned to film because I felt there were certain stories that I wanted to have told, and that's certainly the way the Dama Brothers came to be, because I was in the midst of a story that I knew needed to be told, and I knew it needed to be told in film, because I didn't think the beauty and depth and spirituality of it would ever be conveyed on the printed page. And I think a similar thing happened to me with Beyond the Wall. I've worked for many years teaching a program as a volunteer to prisoners, and, uh, you know, so I've sat in these uh, groups with male prisoners for many, many years and watch them try and dream and hope and prepare and then return to prison again. And I really wanted to understand that um, in a deeper way. I wanted to understand what it was like to go back out, to reenter, to be released, so to speak, back into the community. Uh, so that's when I decided that, again, it really was some, it was a story that needed to be told on film and my dream for this film, which was exactly like the Dahmer Brothers, was to not have experts telling the story about, you know, why why do people need to be locked up or how should we best uh, release them into society uh, or what are the problems out there with being released. I wanted the stories to be told uh, through the eyes of the people themselves who are experiencing reentry, who are living under the policies that we create. And, you know, and I knew tragically that most of these men would be returning, uh, these men that I worked with over the years. So it started with a particular man. His name is Jesus, and he was a, a dynamic young Puerto Rican man who had been, uh, he, he, I think he was 29 at the time that we started filming, um, and he'd been in and out as a as a teenager, as a child, really. He'd been in secure placements. Um, he'd really grown up in facilities and he really, really wanted to make this his last time. And he had big hopes and dreams and big fears when he left the facility. It was a house of correction outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And we were there before he left and uh, as he was leaving and as he was adjusting back into the community. And then we continued to follow Jesus as well as the other characters that we started to follow 
uh, for a total of four years. And how aware was Jesus when he was getting out this this last time of what a challenge it would be not to end up back in prison? I think he was very, very aware. And he also was reaching out for supports. Uh, He worked so hard in my program, and this was a very treatment-rich house of correction, and he'd taken every single program that was there. But he openly talked about how afraid he was. So on the one hand, it was kind of braggadocio, I'm never coming back again. This is my last time. Goodbye, everybody. I'll never see you again. Um, And also, I'm really scared to death. He had a wife and and, uh, six children out there waiting for him and um, had you know, a huge criminal history, uh, Corey, uh, that was going to follow him wherever he went, and a history of of gang violence and and drug abuse. I thought it was so interesting in the film that you address the reentry into the family as well, because so often you hear people talking about the difficulties, or you'll see in films even, of of people coming out of prison and reentry into the the job market or their community, but you don't often think about how difficult it is to reenter into the family structure. And you see that sometimes with with veterans. Um, we might be more aware of the challenges that they face when they come back to a family, but it's got to be the same or, or even more difficult because you've got shame around it, um, entering back into the, the family unit. Well, you come back changed because that experience is going to change you. And not necessarily in a good way. So you're going to come back a different person. For a veteran, it's often uh, trauma. I have to say for for a prisoner, it's often trauma, too. They're trauma survivors anyway. Jesus had a long history of of trauma as he was growing up. Um, He had perpetrated trauma on others, which, again, if you're the perpetrator or the victim, and I think those two things are all mixed up into one uh, anyway, but um, whichever it is, you're going to carry trauma inside, and we don't reach uh, that depth of treatment when they're in prison, and so they're going to come out changed by their experience, disconnected from all their ties, um, you know, with a black mark on their on their record because they're carrying this criminal report around wherever they go, and uh, they're often bewildered and, and depressed, and, you know, people come out in different ways, for all the way from the person that has no ties in the community and nowhere to go to somebody who comes from a very well-established family and neighborhood. Um, But however you cut it, it's going to be a crisis. And that's the way I see it as as a therapist that works with people in crisis. I actually like to work with people in crisis because crisis is a time of change. It's a time when you'd like to go back to the way things were in the past, but you can't because you can't maintain that anymore for various reasons. So it's a time of great fluidity and possibility but also the potential to relapse into old habits, which brought you there in the first place, um, is very, very great. And, you know, many of these men talk about people, places, and things. You know, you've got to change everything. But how are you going to change everything when, you know, you've got somebody out there waiting for you? You've, you know, you, you, you do go back because where are you going to go after all? If you have no connections to the community, then it is easy to relocate. But most people, they need to go back into their lives, and they need to go back into their lives in a way that's going to allow them to succeed. But the obstacles are going to be very, very great. And we all know that in our heads. Uh, Intellectually, we know that it's going to be hard to come out of prison. But I wanted people to feel it. 
feel it in their heart, feel it in their bones. Well, and also to be aware of it on two levels, right? The going back and, and, you know, going back to where they were before isn't the best situation because whatever and whoever they were before was what got them into the prison system to begin with. And then on top of that, so if those elements haven't been changed, they then have all the, the trauma of having been in prison, and then they're going back in, in a much more challenging position than they had been in even prior to going, which ended it's them like in a prison. Double, a double yeah. indemnity. And it's a shame because I think in some cases uh, being incarcerated could be, could be a positive thing in the, the world of the future or the prison of the future where it really is a house of healing, where people do come from uh, lives where things have broken down for them and they really need to reassemble themselves. Uh, many drug addicts say it was the best, and you hear it in the film, uh, especially I know Billy Cabrera says it, that if he hadn't been locked up, he would have been dead because he was living a very dangerous lifestyle. He was looking for some people that he was probably going to end up killing because they had tried to kill him, and that was the world he was in. So he said it was the best thing that ever happened because he was one of the lucky ones. And you see it in the film. He comes out and he really does get some great mentorship from other people. He really um, follows He follows his dream. And it's not an easy dream to follow for him. His dream was always to become a barber. And, you know, he had to do a lot of training and schooling and keep his life going um, while he did become a barber. But his dream uh, did come true. And, and, and you see that in the film. He's really... Uh, ready to help others because he's he's come out changed in a positive way. His dream is coming true for him professionally and personally, and now he's ready to reach down and, and uh, you know, give a hand to others. And that's what he's doing, and that's very fulfilling. And did you do any follow-up with the participants of the Dharma Brothers to follow what had happened with them throughout the system and if they've le- left the system? How that? Yes, I did as much as I could. Now, with the Dhamma Brothers, that program started in 2002, um, and uh, I was back there up through 2006, I think, but I only knew the original guys. That program has spread through the prison. It's offered four times a year, so that what you've got is a situation in which one-third to one-half of the people in this really, this really terrible, uh, violent prison um, are have been through a deep treatment program, which does change them in a positive way, and the culture is changing there. And then these men get transferred to other facilities. So whatever prison you go into in Alabama now, you're going to meet other Dhamma brothers. <laughs> it's amazing. Wonderful. And I do keep in track with them. Some have died. Um, some have been released. Uh, I keep in track of the ones I know as much as possible. Yeah, because it's so interesting. You, you haven't seen that film, have you? No, and, and I intend to, but it's interesting to think about how having that experience in prison may then affect their experience once they're released, if it gave them at least part of the puzzle back of that sort of uh, inner peace and calm and maybe a little bit more self-esteem and confidence. Yeah, if they keep their they keep their practice going, now, it's like anything else. If you continue meditating, you know, there are there are changes that come about in the brain that can actually be mapped on, on MRIs, and a lot of psychological testing has been done on people that meditate and the changes that occur, uh, physical changes, structural changes in the brain, um, uh, uh, emotional changes. 
but if you stop meditating and and if you stop meditating and start taking heroin or start stealing cars, your brain isn't going to stay that way. So you have to maintain it. And often uh, the Dhamma brothers have not had the uh, reinforcements, whether they're behind the wall or beyond the wall, they're not getting those reinforcements. But for many of them that I write to, they are keeping their practice going and it's helped them through many um, triggering situations inside inside and outside. And how did you meet Jesus to be able to follow him from the time he was getting out of prison and then re-entering his community? Yeah, as I say, I, he, I was teaching uh, the house, a group called Houses of Healing, which is a wonderful um, psychotherapy group program that involves a lot of mindfulness and meditation skills, a lot of self-awareness skills, self-regulation skills. Um, and he was in my group. He was one of, you know, the people in my group. And and so then I spoke to uh, my co-producer, co-director, Bester Cram, and um, he and I decided that we'd like to make a film about reentry. And I said, well, okay, I know a person we might start with. And I had very good support at the House of Correction. I, I knew the... Uh, the superintendent and the sheriff there, and they basically gave me carte blanche to come in and film inside the, the facility. So I already knew I him. Mean, that's I just incredible my... on its own. When you were talking about making the Dharma Brothers in the, the violent prison in Alabama, I thought, well, just the fact that you could get in there and do this course and then make a film on it is pretty incredible. Yes, it was um, the perfect storm of opportunities. Uh, I, I don't know if that program can happen anywhere else in the United States because it really boggles the mind what you have to do. And I don't want to talk too much about that film now, although I would love to at some future time, but um, you have to um, have a place that's secure and separate in the prison where people can enter a particular area and stay there for 11 days where you can also lock in with the prisoners, um, teachers, and they stay there. They never leave during those 11 days. So, um, I knew the director of treatment for the Department of Correction. Uh, I, I knew the warden really well. Um, I knew a lot of people in the facility. So, um, and, and it took a lot of preparation over over more than a year to get the facility ready for this. We actually flew uh, a, a number of staff members. I think it was six or seven staff members to Western Massachusetts to do a uh, vipassana sitting, and I, I was there as well. We all sat together, so they knew really what the program was. was all about. Well, let's talk a little bit about something you just mentioned briefly about people maybe mentally being aware of, of this challenge of, of um, reentry into society after leaving jail or prison and yet not really wanting to deal with it or knowing how to deal with it. Um, culturally, what do you feel the movie was trying to connect where there is a disconnect in people's maybe knowledge of what's going on and their willingness to really deal with it. Well, do you mean from the point of view of the culture or from the returning citizen? From the point of view of the culture first. You know, I I think that, um, well, what I was trying to do was to allow people to see who these people are through the film. And I think that often... Uh, we see people, uh, we label people, and um, I, a number of years ago, uh, everybody's talking about the culture, culture of poverty. If, if you remember Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and you know, we were kind of blaming people for their situation. Mm-hmm. 
um, there is a uh, a culture that these people return to, or, or many cultures, um, but they are often of poverty uh, and trauma, loss, deprivation. These people, uh, these returning citizens have not created that problem, but they must live in it because that's where they are, and it's very hard to get out of that. So I'm, I'm hoping that some cultural change in the wider society will happen. Um, and, you know, that's what we're doing with the film right now. It's it's going across the United States. We're having screenings in many, many places over the next um, six months to a year. I You know, I hope it continues rolling out. But I want local communities to see who who returning citizens are, what their dilemmas and obstacles are, what are some of the potential local solutions for them, and then maybe on a national level as we, you know, uh, bring uh, reform to criminal justice and corrections, that some of these ideas will, you know, that our, our, our changes will be imbued with the ideas, who are these people really? Can we really see them, not just think about them and actually feel like we'll lock them up and get rid of them, or um, they're, they're one of us, but I don't want to have to stumble over them on the sidewalk. You know, to the, these are, they, they are us, and we must help them, kind of a, an attitude. All right, we're going to take a short break. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking. I'm speaking with Jenny Phillips. She is the director, a director, and co-producer of Beyond the Wall, and we'll be back in just a moment. This is KDPI 88.5 FM. All right, we're back. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, and I'm speaking with Jenny Phillips. And, Jenny, do you think, too, like, it's such a big problem like it's one of those seemingly unsolvable problems people don't know what to do or how to act so they don't want to look at it yeah you know i think we create these um systems or or maybe we could call them problems i mean we've created this institution of incarceration and the documentary uh, film 13th which was nominated for an academy award i think tells a really good uh, tale of how that came to be because we were already locking people up before, but um, it started really rolling out much more quickly in the late 70s and into the 80s, and um, we've just been ramping it up since then. So we feed the beast, you know, it's like a sausage factory, and we just keep feeding people into it, and um, they come out of it and unfortunately go back into it. But I think the problem is that we have this institution, and how do you how do you get rid of it? <laughs> you know, it exists. And we're not spending money on treating people. The money is maintaining the system itself. It's I think it's 98% of the budget, which is huge. Well, and I was going to say, there's lots of elements to, pay to it. Salaries. it. It's become a business, and, and that time frame, too, is connected with the privatization of jails and prisons and detention centers. And so... You know, it's it's capitalism. They want they want the the companies and individuals running these institutions want capacity and be building more. Yeah, I don't know how many people are really sitting there counting their money. There was the um, judge who was sending children away and getting a kickback for it. You remember that? Yeah. He ended up getting incarcerated. But um, I don't know how many people are are evilly counting their money. Uh, I, I know they, there are people like that. Well, no, and I, I don't mean individuals. Before, I mean as part of the the system is that, you know, oftentimes you have companies that are, are running prisons rather than the government. The government might be paying them to do it, but it's it's become a, a business. Yeah, I think it's true for the government, too. 
Um, and we have to keep these systems going. We've got to um, bring in food and water and personnel. And just think of what it takes to maintain a prison. It's amazing. Whole communities are served by having a prison get built in their neighborhood. Um, and so the question is, how do you stop that? Now, I think um, some some of the red states, there's this whole thing of justice reinvestment and trying to invest in other things besides locking people up. Community alternatives to incarceration Reentry programs when you do come out, better treatment programs behind the walls, but you still got this huge monster that's you know just feeding on itself. Uh, and 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 how do you stop that? Once you set that up, it's like the prison in Guantanamo Bay. It exists now. I think most people would agree that we shouldn't have it there, but it is there. So I don't know. I I guess that's something that involves. Um, new legislation. I think some things can happen on a statewide level. Some things have to happen on a, a federal level. Uh, we need to stop feeding the beast here and uh, you know, have a more humane system. That's a huge issue. But I think filmmaking can be a small part of that. Uh, a social impact film. I, I don't want to argue that this is the key to the puzzle. You know, I, I think it is a key to the puzzle. Yeah, it's one key, but then that's what we're doing right now. You know, you finish a film and you think, oh, good, it's, you know, I did it. But that's when the work begins. It, it happened for me before I was sitting full-time working on the Dahmer Brothers for years. Um, and I'm working pretty much full-time now on Beyond the Wall because we're at the takeoff stage. We've got to get it into prisons and jails and um, houses of correction and um, uh, in front of judges, in front of uh, attorneys police chiefs, and we're doing all that in Massachusetts. We're having an incredible success getting it in front of judges and police chiefs and um, prosecutors, public defenders. It's amazing, and, and I'm getting the most amazing comments from them about, oh, yeah, you remember the judge that's in the film uh, and Jesus comes into his courtroom? I think you saw the film, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway, the judge, um, well, we, I sent him the film and he wrote back to me and he said, oh, I loved it. He said, but I want to meet Louis Diaz. And so Louis and I went to meet with him and he just said, thank you, Louis. I'm so grateful to you because now I can see these people. I get all too used to just seeing them from up on high. Oh, what a gift. On the dais in my robes. And I, I see them now as people. And I think that's what I'm hoping. It's kind of the humanization of a system that's gotten in many cases, dehumanized. Well, and you're also breaking the pattern uh, within the families of generations that are going through the the system. Yeah, there was a report that came out last winter by Mass Inc., which is sort of a watchdog group in the Boston area, and they did something called the Geography of Incarceration. It's a wonderful report. If you wanted to read it, you could get it online. Um, And they looked at neighborhoods where... Uh, the neighborhoods are so impoverished because people come and go and come and go. And, you know, you, if you look at a street with houses on it, probably half to more than half of those houses have people that are not there right now. They can't support their families. They can't support their families. And then the families must look to other means to support themselves. And what are they going to do? And everybody gets dragged into the crime industry as a way of trying to uh, support themselves and stay well, out of prison. And you said Jesus has six kids waiting for him. He had six kids mm-hmm. waiting for him. So, you know, what mm-hmm. it, what lesson do they learn if, if he doesn't go back this time, right? And the cycle's broken. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I say about those characters is I don't want to give away 
um, one particular story um, for people that would listen to this that haven't seen it, but I think of it as the river of life and a, a film ends. Okay, this is the way it ends. This is the end of the story. But the story goes on. And every one of those men is still out there, central characters, living their lives, continuing their stories, going up and down with their their obstacles and trials and errors and hopes and dreams. And their stories are changing. And one of the things I'm hoping to do is to go back and interview all of them so you can see what's going on with them today. So let's talk a little bit about Billy Cabrera. Um, and there was a quote on one of the the um, articles I read that the sheriff, I think it was the, the sheriff who had said, I wish I could clone Billy, have a hundred of him navigating our communities. I know we'd have safer and stronger communities. And it was just the, the, such a wonderful story. Um, it, maybe we could just talk a little bit about uh, his path. Yeah, I'll talk about Billy. I want to mention another thing first, which, uh, which you're kind of um, making me think of which is um, Billy and, and Louis Diaz, who's really the central, central character of the film, um, and everybody says, oh, they're so wonderful, they're so unique, but they are returning citizens who have found themselves, established themselves, and now have this burning desire to share what they learned and help others. And um, one of the things we're doing with, and, and you'll see it at uh, Beyond the Wall, um, we're not there. Um, Billy and Louis aren't there. But we have returning citizens from right in your area who have watched the film and are uh, just pillars of their community now uh, doing reentry work, actually, and they're going to be there at the Q&A. And so they have wisdom, they have wisdom for us that, that they're wanting to share with us, and we need to listen to them. And for each other, I remembered seeing, and I was trying to track it down and I couldn't find it, but I remembered seeing something on TV about a prisoner who had gotten out and had had such a hard time that he thought, well, you know what, I'm going to help people that are going to be in my same situation and established an entire program where he went into the prisons um, just before, you know, they'd organize a group of men that were going to be released within the next month or two months. He'd teach them how to get a bank account. He'd teach them how to use an, a, an ATM card. He'd teach them how to mm-hmm. use a cell Wonderful. phone. All these things that he got out not knowing how to do that almost sunk him and thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make it different especially through these these prisoners i think in this case i'm remembering they were people who had been in for sort of you know almost lifelong sentences and so the world had literally changed well yeah, there are a lot of those little um little uh seeds sprouting out there and as a community if you have one of those in your community you really really need to support it you know because we we need to listen to these people's wisdom we need to support their efforts uh, we need to embrace them. And so, you know, back to Billy. Um, so Billy came from a, uh, background of, of abandonment and, uh, violence. Um, and at one point he was, um, shipped from New York City, um, just put in a car. He didn't know where he was going and was taken to the city of Lawrence, which is where most of our characters actually, uh, came from, the city of Lawrence. Um, and he was with a very elderly grandmother, and he could run circles around her, and uh, and he did, and he, he you know he started you know getting into a gang and and um, doing little small crimes and then larger and larger crimes, um, and and he got locked up, and I'm not sure how many years he was locked up, but they were quite significant, and when he came out, he uh, had this dream, as I said before, of becoming a barber, 
Louis Diaz uh, mentored him and helped him. Um, uh, uh, Billy had a chair in a barbershop for a while. You see that in the film. It's called Masterpiece. Uh, and uh, he, he just has a chair there. But he still wanted more. He wanted his own barbershop. And, he, you know, he he had a whole community of people around him. He's a very lovable uh, man. And everybody helped him put together this, this barbershop. It's beautiful. It's called Billy's Barbershop. And he's now creating social capital in the community by uh, he's got a resource room and, uh, uh, you know, you can research Corey-friendly jobs. He offers people a free haircut and a cup of coffee and uh, Which mentorship. Which is huge, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't take that much really, yeah, to support yeah. someone and, and really change their chances around. Yeah, and you need that from the moment you go out the door. Those initial hours are important. Those initial days are important. So the House of Correction that you see in the movie um, refers people. They say, go to Billy's Barbershop. And there he walks in, and he's got a whole community of returning citizens embracing him. It's really a beautiful thing. So if people don't get a chance to see the film during the festival, where can they see the film, and where can they see the Dharma Brothers? Well, the Dhamma Brothers is easy. You can get that on uh, Netflix or iTunes or Hulu. Um, unfortunately, you can't stream it anymore on Netflix. I think you can on iTunes. Uh, you can go to my website, dhammabrothers.com, and actually buy the film if you want to. Uh, Beyond the Wall is more complicated. We actually were selling DVDs from the website. Um, and if people want to see the website, it's Beyond the Wall Film, all one word. You have to put the word film in there because there's another uh, film out there. There might actually be two called Beyond the Wall. Um, uh, But we were selling DVDs, and now because we're looking for uh, distributors, we've stopped selling DVDs for now. But really, really important, if anybody would like to host a screening, you can get a copy of the film that way. You go on to our website, uh, go to uh, host a screening to that page on the website, fill out a form, somebody in our team will get in touch with you, and you know you can download discussion guides, posters, get a copy of the film, and there is a license fee, and depending on what kind of organization you are, um, I would say the, the license could be $99 for um, you know a yoga studio or, or something like that. A big library or university, it would be more than that. I think it's $295, but we're really hoping people will host screenings, and we we will, on our team, support those screenings in any ways that we possibly can to make it a really good event, a good local event that brings in local stakeholders that gets conversations going about how to make a change in your community. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on That Got Me Thinking. You've definitely got me thinking. You've got me inspired. I'm, I'm just so thrilled to speak with someone who is doing such good in the world and one project after another. Great. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. 